You've just spoken four complete sentences without providing one drop of pertinent information. Hey everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rot. This is a podcast where we're taking a look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month, we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and the worst film in one individual's filmography. You guys can listen along and let us know what you thought. So we started off uh, this very this very podcast right here with Patrick Stewart was the first one. So we talked about Logan last week, and this week we're going to be talking about Christmas Eve. I am one of your hosts. My name is Wes Teasdale. <sighs> I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> and on the other line, we have Clay McCormick. And we're going to be talking about Christmas Eve, which is... <laughs> this might be the um, the second and final episode of this podcast, <laughs> which has been a, a rip-roaring success so far. Uh, Christmas- this movie was so bad. How bad was it? How bad was it? Uh, I don't know. How much time do you have to... Uh, wax poetic about the meaning of life well for for in the in the grand tradition of of masters like uh uh pt anderson and um (laughs) shit i forgot his name robert altman bringing you great stories about the human condition all wrapped together with a single unifying event this just takes that concept and just uh uh, forces it to put on makeup and dance around while it takes pictures of it, I guess. <laughs> so we're talking about Christmas Eve, which is a 2015 American Christmas comedy film. I can't believe it's American, but according to this, it is directed by Mitch Davis, written by Davis and Tyler McKellar, produced by Davis and Larry King, the great Larry King of CNN, his first producer credit. This this movie was one acapella band away from being my version of hell. <laughs> The film features a large ensemble cast led by Patrick Stewart. That's why we're talking about it. James Rode, Juliana Giel, John Heater, uh, Cheryl Hines, and Gary Cole. The budget is unknown, Clay, but it made $91,000 at the box office, which I'd have to assume <laughs> means that it's a failure because Patrick's one minute of Patrick Stewart's time, I assume, is worth more than $91,000. Um, let's see here. There is no Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus, but it was... 10 Rotten Reviews. It's at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the sort of the, the the description of the film, hilarity, romance, and transcendence prevail after a power outage traps. Oh, is that what that was? Transcendence? <laughs> traps six different groups of New Yorkers inside elevators on Christmas Eve. Again, it's at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, 10 reviews. It's, it had, I, hope, I hope New York was in quotation marks. Yes, it's, uh, we'll get, be getting to that, too. 52% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes out of 926 reviews. Uh, my favorite review was the movie can serve as an undemanding home screen amusement to enjoy while wrapping Christmas presents, which I might disagree with, although maybe not. Um, if you thought that this movie was not going to feature a copy machine repairman on fire <laughs> running out of an exploding van, <laughs> then you are wrong. Because it does. <laughs> Principal photography for this movie, interior and exterior, took place entirely in Bulgaria. Um, you know, I don't know if I don't. Did you notice, Clay, that there was a uh, green screened, <laughs> green screened cityscapes in the background in a lot of shots? I don't know if it was just, that obvious. I just assumed they shot it during the construction of the Freedom Tower, and they just got you know really got the uh, their production money production value out of it you know but they, they try to trick you at the start where they have a terrible montage opening credit scene which is just very scenes in new york which doesn't tie into anything it's only to establish the fact that you are supposed to be in new york um, mm. and you will never question that again patrick stewart the reason we're talking about this was the last person to be cast he was cast three weeks into film production uh despite the high number of british actors in the cast only two speak with their native accents it's john shepherd and sir patrick stewart the rest use various american dialects which is the reason it's surprising as an american film uh the last well how many how many foreign actors are in it uh, i think there's at least four or five looking at it now i think there's a guy i'll I'll, i will look this up once you start going into your tangents about it we'll i'll start looking (laughs) things up but uh the last thing i wanted to talk about before we get into the analysis of it is mitch davis is the director of this um he is is mitch davis let me guess is mitch mitch davis 
a freshman in college in a freshman college writing course? Uh, he's he's actually very old. He went to, he went to I think he went to Brigham Young University with Joseph Smith. Um, <laughs> he's a Mormon, which is everything you look up about him is it relates to his Mormonism. He directed 2001's Other Side of Heaven, which is about Mormon missionaries. He had a direct-to-DVD House House Divided, which is about a Jewish man who falls in love with a Palestinian woman. And then he had the 2015 Christmas Eve movie, which is this movie. So I thought that the segue to get into this, Clay, would be... How would you what kind of bad movie would you describe this as? Because this is unquestionably a terrible movie. Um, But to me, it's not even a good bad movie. It is to me, this is a a, the reason I find the film actually interesting, even though it's kind of torturous to watch, is that it's obviously a cash grab, right? Like, yeah, what they're trying to do is they're trying to rip off Love Actually and make some version of Love Actually. And I think more recently that that string of uh, holiday movies featuring a bunch of famous people where it's I literally just the same plot where it's like, oh, it's eight different stories that yes. all happen on Valentine's Day. I, I actually is that what love actually is? The That's same what thing? love actually is. Yeah, there's probably, you know, there's probably like seven or eight love actually stories that go on, except, you know, contrary to what this movie does, they're actually satisfying stories in and of themselves. Uh, like each one yeah, is actually I've- pretty good. I've never seen Love Actually because I don't watch soft ass shit. <laughs> but I mean, that the Mitch, like, how? The, so this movie to me is a is a cash grab. I I have no idea. I couldn't find how this movie was by fi- the, financed by the pro, by the producers who grabbed the cash from the financiers and just ran, ran off with ran it. Ran off with it. I I don't like. I don't know how the movie was financed. I assume there was a large religious influence on the financing of this movie. Um, and I don't know what they what went on. I don't know how you hire this Mitch Davis character who has directed one movie 14 years earlier and the only other credit he has is a directed DVD credit. I don't know how he gets put in charge of all this. And then, Why did you have to shoot in Bulgaria? The entire thing <laughs> takes place in elevators. You couldn't do that like in the building you live in? They could have done that in L- I don't understand why any of this happened. I don't understand why flying all these actors out to Bulgaria to shoot these things was necessary. Do it in fucking Detroit or yeah, something. Just, just go make it a Breaking Bad sequel or something. I, I don't know. It's, it, it is a bad movie that to me is a weird contradiction because... What I would consider to be good bad movies are movies that are very bad, but they have like this pure of heart intention behind them where it's like Mm -hmm. the filmmaker actually thinks he's making a good movie and everyone's trying very hard. It just comes out super terrible. It would be like The Room, Samurai Cop, things like that. Um, This movie is different. It's it feels much more sinister than that, yet it's wrapped up in this religious thing that makes me think that they were actually trying to make a good movie here, even though the outcome Seems like there's no way they thought this was going to be good. They thought that this was just kind of a cheap to make lottery ticket to make some holiday cash that failed. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it besides that. I mean, I, it, it's uh, the reason I said the thing about the the, the uh, college freshman thing is because this the whole it feels like it feels like a play. It, that that's the first thing I thought is it feels like a play. It feels like someone's shitty play that they turned into a movie and it's, it feels like a freshman like drama class play um, where people just, it's, it feels like that, but it also, now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like one of those, uh, um, one of those love actually type movies done by someone who doesn't understand English Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels like it's lost in translation. Like uh, so, you you know the um, uh, the canon films. Yeah. Right. Uh, one of the f- I think one of the first American movies they did was I think it was called The Last American Virgin, mm-hmm. and it was a remake of a movie that uh, um, one of the uh, canon guys did in Israel, which was where he saw originally, and they didn't update the script. They just shot the same script and just put it in English. So it has all of these weird jokes that are very specific to like Israeli culture yeah, that do yeah. not translate whatsoever into American culture. Like ter- Israeli sort of turns a phrase that, that don't make any sense in English. Yeah, or like visual gags that make sense but don't make sense in in in, in English or in America. And while it's not that explicit, 
this feels has the similar feel to it where it's like there are situations in it that seem like they are drawn from a cliche one of these types of movies but then completely mishandled um my I, I'm looking at you, uh, photographer and girl in an elevator. That's supposed to be like, is it supposed to be romantic? I have that whole, that, that, is that the, whole thing was <laughs> one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in my life. That was the me and Amy were watching it, and Amy was just like, "It's a tough decision for me whether I'd be whether I'd rather be stuck in this elevator with Hannibal Lecter or this guy." Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and not even that. Not even just that scene. There's like this weird. I don't know if misogynist is the word, but there's this weird like I, I'm I'm you know being a a a male, um, I don't pick up the whole male gaze thing as much as I'm sure most women do. Yes, uh, you, I picked it up in this movie. You can't avoid fucking it. yeah. Like there's more than one shot where the male character in the, in the elevator is like leering at some woman. And then they cut to a first-person shot of them, like, starting at her feet and just slowly panning up her body. Yep. And then cutting back to the guy, and he's making a face. It's like, yeah, nice. It's like, <laughs> I don't... How was this movie made in 2015? It's a power outage. They're working on it. Five minutes at the most. Five minutes? Walt, if you don't stop elbowing me, I'm going to kill you. You hear that, everybody? Give Queen Dawn her... Precious space. Up yours. Up. Could you just be quiet a minute? I'm, I'm trying to make There's no call. service in here. Hey, he says, uh, if you get this message, it's it's murder. I'm uh, stuck in an elevator with the orchestra. I think we're all, all going to die. Oh, oh, come on, Marty. Shut the hell up. Hey, that was uncalled for, Walt. You shut up yourself. <laughs> you just told Walt to shut up. I was shutting up the shutter upper. It's different. I know. That's That's the... That's the, the, like, my sort of general takeaway from it is I took a lot of um, screenwriting and sketch comedy writing classes when I was in the city, and they they have those things that are available, like your local improv houses. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm some brilliant writer or something, but yes, and the one, the one defining trait of terrible writers and terrible comedy writers is that they, their jokes come from a place that is totally disconnected to what their setup is. Like mm -hmm. they, they'll have a thing like it'll be a man, a, a cashier ringing up someone at the grocery store, and the cashier will say that'll be ten dollars and twenty seven cents. Cut to customer saying, "Hey, have you ever seen a Dalmatian?" You know, it's this weird sort of yeah. disconnected. Totally, yeah. why did you set this conversation up here? Why didn't you set this up in a dog pound or something that's like more relevant to what's going on? And that, to me, is exactly what this script does for its entire running time. It has these bizarre setups where they're all in elevators, but the conversations that people are having are nowhere near what should be going on at the time in the elevator and their jokes are off the things that they're choosing to talk about are very fake yeah. and not not what people would actually be talking about and that ties into your sort of mistranslated thing but uh to me it struck me as a very a very bad writer's take on a farce and the other thing that's funny about this is if you're going to make a movie directors uh, not that i can lecture you but I, I think i can lecture people based on my opinion of this movie if you're going to make a movie you have to decide what kind of tone your movie is going to be about. You cannot <laughs> yeah. you cannot start your movie as a farcical holiday family film and then have someone be dying of terminal heart cancer at the very end of it and be like, "Oh, this is actually a tragedy and isn't this bizarre?" The 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 woman dying of heart cancer is the most bizarre subplot that they have running here. And it's paired up against an orchestra in an elevator farting and everyone losing their oh, minds. It's like, it's what is going on here? Yeah. I would like to take it one step back and, uh, and say that I didn't know anything about this movie whatsoever going into it. I didn't see any trailers. I didn't look anything up about it. And as I was watching it, the first few minutes, um, it was kind of like, uh, you remember... <laughs> Remember in The Godfather where Sonny drives out to the toll booth and, uh, you know, the thing goes down and it stops and he's like, what the hell's going on? And then somebody pulls in behind him and then he sees the people ducking out of the booth and then, like, somebody pulls up in front of them. And then at that last second, he realizes that he's about to get murdered by a thousand bullets. Yeah. 
that's how I felt when I saw everybody <laughs> going into the elevators in this movie. Like, I, as they're doing their thing, I'm like, all right, this is fucking whatever. And then they each, the first group gets in the elevator. It didn't, it didn't click with me. The second group gets in the elevator. It didn't click with me. Then the third group got into the elevator. I was like, oh, no. Yep. And then the fourth and the fifth. And then I, the, by the last one, I was just like, oh, fuck this movie. <laughs> I mean, the, the the this is supposed to be set in New York, right? And each of the elevators is bigger than my apartments were when I when yeah. I had an apartment. Like the the, the only elevators working are the uh, uh, the industrial the industrial ones. And the the gimmick is that the like a a, a very religious Spanish speaking delivery driver uh, comically crashes into something and flips his. <laughs> flips his van which destroys apparently the most important transformer box in new york city which yeah. causes all the power to go out <laughs> and it also electrifies his van so that we have a we have a sort of serious drama going on where like the head electrician who's basically played like a, a detective cop in a serious drama is coming in saying that they can't get the guy out because the whole van is electrified and he'll he'll fry if they get him out and that causes all these people to get stuck in elevators with people. And we have these six stories. I'll break down the six stories. Cranky boss who's stuck on an exterior elevator of a building. Classical musicians who fart. Doctors who has a terminal heart cancer patient. A fired tech worker with his boss. A creepy photographer with a girl. And then two idiot girls, a muscle guy, a husband of the cancer patient, and an art guide are stuck in the other elevator. Um... Do you think it's best of, if we go through each of these quickly? Is that the best format for this? And then we just kind of... Because I think that they all tie into my thoughts about things. Or do you want to go with a more general discussion of it? I mean, I mean go for it. It's like playing Russian roulette with six bullets in the gun. So it doesn't matter where you start. All right. So which <laughs> let's well, let's start with what do you think the, the, the quote-unquote best one is? If you had um, a best. The least offensive one. Um... For me, it kind of fits in with the theme of the podcast. I'm not just saying this. I think Patrick Stewart's is probably the best because it's the least offensive on some level. Really sorry about that. You've just spoken four complete sentences without providing one drop of pertinent information. I already realize my elevator has a situation and you being sorry in and of itself is not pertinent. You're checking out the problem is not pertinent. I doubt that you are even pertinent. But whoever you are, you better get this elevator moving in one minute, or I will find you, fire you, and then make sure that you are fired from your next three jobs after that. Is that pertinent enough for you? Hello? Hello? Uh, I don't know. I That one was just so... It's boring. Like, I, I wasn't even sure what the hell he was doing. Like, it, it, <laughs> he, he was just... He was just, like, screaming. Like, I... The, I've never seen a character want to say fuck so badly in my life. Like, I, I, the way he was yelling, I kept waiting for him to say, like, open the fucking door. Like, it never came, and it was just very unsatisfying <laughs> to me. But, like, it, like, it's just, it's indicative of the whole problem where it's like, it's, it almost feels, that one almost felt like there was no script for that. That felt like he was improving that whole thing. It was like they told him. <laughs> and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he was cast last like three weeks into production, or whatever, and they just need to like pad the movie out or something. It wouldn't surprise me if if it was like, all right, Patrick, here's what your what your character's going through. Uh, now take us through that. Sure. And that was like the only direction he got because like he, he he was doing that thing towards the end where he was like breaking down and like verbally explaining how he was breaking down and about what. And, you know, like, it went, all of a sudden, like, he's like, uh, oh, I, I have to call my son and tell him I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, what the hell's going on? Because, like, because he's been stuck in an elevator for two hours. He's suddenly come to, like, realize that his life is a sham and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what the arc of that story is. There's no arc to that story. He just He's a grumpy douchebag who somehow gets stuck on the elevator. Everyone else gets down. Uh, the people who are left up on the roof somehow get down. And then he has a breakdown at some point. He has like an emotional breakdown and then he reconciles and is okay by the very yeah. end of it. How does everybody else get off that roof? Yeah. He's they're... up there with four other people. <laughs> <laughs> is there another movie where there's four people just freezing to death on the top of that building? All of the people stuck on roofs all around the place. I mean, I, the 
the reason Patrick Stewart's in this, it's obviously just a payday cash grab thing. I can't hold my that against theory. Him. My theory is that it was like I've never been to Bulgaria. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> right. I mean, it's just his his storyline is, in my opinion. Well, here I'll give you my other, the better one that I think is possible. The the fired tech worker is almost a complete story. Ex-employees shall not infringe upon the workspace of company, nor use its resources, tools, or services at any time. I get it. You're pissed because I laid you off. Ex-employees shall be barred from association with current employees on company property. Whether or not such interaction is at the invitation of a current employee. Listen, bro, it's Christmas Eve. I don't want to be in here any more than you do. Why don't you help me get us both out of here? Get out and go where? I don't have a job, remember? You think I enjoy laying people off? No, firing people. You fired me. You want to think I'm evil? Go ahead. I'd like to think of you as human. I really would, but when you can't spare fantasy football for five minutes to square up with a guy whose life you just turned upside down, well, then you seem more like the spawn of Satan himself. Yeah, I I would say if you're if you're going like if you're if you're going by which of these vignettes is like uh story structurally competent, I would say that's probably the closest one. Yeah. Uh even though it took me a while to figure out <laughs> I had no idea what company what the company was that this guy worked for at the beginning cuz it's like they I don't think they tell you off the bat and then they're too concerned with making sure that you know that this guy's got a quirky office with a chair bolted to the floor that's pointing the wrong way <laughs> yeah. and he only cares about uh fantasy football it, you know it was but yeah if once you get past that stuff the actual story they're telling does have a conclusion to it and has a an arc that you can clearly define right yeah <laughs> it's not a it's not well it's not well structured or anything, but it, the, the arc is basically a guy gets fired. He gets stuck in the elevator with the boss who fired him. They He proves his worth by coming up with the idea that's going to save the company, and they get off, and he's rehired and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure he comes up with an idea that like revolutionizes energy distribution <laughs> as a whole for the world, I think. <laughs> yes, I think that's, they have a lot of uh, diagrams going up. It's very much the, it's always sunny sort of meme of uh, Charlie looking crazy while there's a bunch of different like string tied to papers and stuff like that. I, I thought that it's uh, Napoleon Dynamite who plays that character. Um, yeah, I just, that that one, that one to me, the only thing really holding that one back is the fact that it's a lot of the dumb humor that's throughout the entire movie. Like that for some reason they, they, He's got a thing against fantasy football. That's like a running joke. You know, he, did, he doesn't like the fantasy football and the, the boss plays fantasy football and there's a big dis, uh, disagreement between them or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. And sure, the, the other one, I mean, we can, we can also just start at the bottom. Like, wh- which one of these do you think is just a failure on all kinds of levels? I mean, they're all failures on some degree, but uh, I have two of them that I consider to be really just horrific. Um, the one with the art guy, that whole thing was just fucking garbage. Yep. The two, Um, the two girls and the muscle guy and the art guide. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really think now I'm trying to think back. Uh, the, the one with the musicians was pretty stupid too. (laughs) The musicians to me are the musician one is just stupid. Like it's a, it's just a stupid collection of actors yelling bad dialogue at each other um it ends with you know before we before a way to break into this is what did you think of the ending of this movie i thought it was ridiculous (laughs) every every you have six six groups groups of people all stuck in elevators, which is usually where you draw the line at these things, right? You know, it's like uh, Magnolia. It's like, oh, it's raining frogs or whatever. And everybody's involved and somehow connected tangentially or in shortcuts. There's an earthquake that affects everybody or whatever. This one, not only is everybody stuck in elevators, but every they are connected to each other on like a secondary level. Yes. Like uh, the, everybody in the elevator is connected to someone else in the other elevator somehow, which you don't find out until the end. So you can get this nice 
montage of everybody, you know, this like bitter, supposedly, I assume they're going for like a bittersweet kind of thing where you see how everybody interacts and whether, you know, it was just, oh my God. New York has like 15 billion people in it. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, so the, the way that it wraps up is that throughout the entire movie, we've had no implication or indication that these characters know each other on some level. Mm-hmm. And starting in the last 10 minutes, they start just connecting dots between all the characters. Like the the cancer patient who's in the doctor storyline is the wife of the guy who is the brainiac guy who is in the idiot girl storyline. And the the musicians, you know, the cranky boss sees everybody at the end. The musicians are someone's in love with somebody else. The uh, There's a few other ones that sort of cross pollinate between all the different stories. And. To me, it was like, what's what's weird about the movie is that this is a Christmas movie, but it's almost it's almost sadistic in what it puts people through, <laughs> and the half of the stories don't even wrap up happily. Like the mm. the cancer patient one to me just sticks out because the doctor diagnoses this woman with cancer, and he's like, he has this bizarre scene where he's like, "You have four weeks to live. Like this is it's over mm-hmm. for you." Can you feel anything, Karen? No. can't feel my chest. Your sternum is held together with staples, so it's important that you hold very still, okay? How'd it go? Tumor did a lot of damage. Much more than we could see on the MRI. It's not good, Karen. Am I gonna die? You probably have a few weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> we have to talk about the doctor's storyline, but he gives her four weeks to live. And then we, we learn that her husband is in the other elevator. And at the end of the movie, he's like, I'm just going to go visit my wife. Uh, she, she had a small procedure done. Don't worry. The doctor said everything's going to be okay. The movie ends with her husband ignorantly assuming that his wife is not going to die in four weeks. Mm-hmm. And this, that's how a Christmas movie wraps up at the very end. Well, for that you know, it's the irony is that he is, he was someone who thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't, he didn't know that. Oh, he Jesus. Wrong on that one. <laughs> you didn't see that one. Like, I, I, I feel like that was kind of a running theme for a lot of these. It was just like, you think you know everything, but it's like the, <laughs> the tagline of this was just the tagline they used in the real world. Where it's like, you think you know, but you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the the doctor one was baffling to me because the way they set it up is like, uh, you know, it, it, what's his name? Gary Cole's playing the doctor who's just done surgery on this girl and the surgery was, was successful but not successful enough and he's saying there's nothing else we can do. And then his nurse practitioner or whoever that was was saying like, oh, well, I mean – You've got to think outside the box, and he's like, "Nope, I've, I know what I know, and I've no, and there's nothing we can possibly do." You would think that the natural progression of that is like he thinks of something else to try. Yeah. <laughs> but but in this, it's the girl wakes up. They're stuck in an elevator together, and the girl wakes up, and he's just like, "No, yeah, uh, it it didn't work. You're gonna you're gonna die in like three weeks." And she's like, "Oh well, I guess I don't have to clean the bathroom again." <laughs> Oh, also, I'm not going to tell my husband. I, I woke Amy up. Uh, I was watching it in bed, and I woke Amy up laughing at that scene, and she asked what was happening, and I was just like, the doctor just told her that her sternum is held together by... by <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Your sternum is held together with staples, so it's important that you hold very still. She says, I can't feel my chest. And he goes, well, your sternum is, is held together with staples currently. <laughs> I mean, the the point of that, that one is the most, that one is the most re- religiously obvious because they have a yeah. incredibly blunt conversation that's probably, you know, I can't imagine there being a higher pinnacle of theological debate than between what the doctor and the nurse character have in this movie. But he, you know... Does the movie not like the doctor character? Is the doctor just supposed to be this stupid atheist who doesn't understand and therefore can't understand the suffering and the girl being 
uh, Pius is okay with death at a certain point. Like the movie doesn't doesn't really go into this, but that's the implication. I think is what's under underpinning everything that the the atheist doctor is just cold and doesn't care, and the girl is religious and therefore accepting of this horrible fate that's befallen her. And at least in my opinion, yeah. I mean, I couldn't really focus on that because I was focusing on how deftly they worked in uh, tension breaks of this heavy shit with the side story of the doctor thing about the two nurses uh one of whom had to pee so bad that he peed his pants when he fell asleep yep and then the other one um takes a syringe to the neck yeah claimed he studied homeopathy for a while and knows how to suppress pain and then tells the other nurse to stab him in the neck with a syringe yeah and everybody else lets him do it yeah yes yeah. he's th- these two nurses are in an elevator with two doctors who should know better, and none of them, neither one of them is says, you know, maybe you shouldn't stab him in the neck with a syringe. He just lets him do it. And guess what? It's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, we might not be doing justice with the description, so you're going to have to buy this movie for $9.99 on Amazon and watch it. Oh. But, I mean, the... Yeah. So, did you you gave did you give me an answer? You said the classic musicians are the uh, the one of the if worst. If I bought this movie on DVD, the only use I would have for it is to be the thing that I slip off my table with when I hang myself. Yes, it's a, and then you would have had, a, you know, a discussion with this doctor as you're as you're struggling to hang on. To yeah, you. of course, of course, the power would go out, <laughs> and my mechanical hanging device wouldn't work. So then I'd be stuck. And I'd have to think about things for uh, for the next 48 hours or however long they're stuck in there. I mean, so you mentioned the musician one as being the worst. I think the actual, the two worst ones are uh, the creepy photographer who we started yeah, out talking. Do you, do you want to no, just... I, 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 that, is, that is the worst. That Like, that's the worst thing in the movie. Like, it's yeah, it, yeah. hands down. Stu, hey, dude, it's me. Yeah, what's going on out there, man? You're kidding me. The whole city? What are you telling me? Zombies. I knew it would always end up like this. You getting your face ripped off by bikers and me stuck in an elevator with, hold please, what's your name? Dimples? You said dimples to me? Interesting. Dimples and I'm stuck with her. And it would appear that we may just be the last man and woman on earth soon. <laughs> great power does come with great responsibility. You know what, Stu? This doesn't make any sense, man. You know why? Because I don't get cell reception in elevators, which means this conversation isn't happening, which means texting probably doesn't work either. Hmm. Uh, the, the musician thing is, is whatever. It's, it's stupid. But that, that creepy photographer thing, do you want? Like do, do you want to give so, give a give a description, a short description, to lay out exactly what happens in this plot line? Because it's it's sort of bizarre, and it, it 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 encapsulates everything that goes on with the rest of the movie in a lot of ways. It's like the perfect little vignette that the movie does in terms of itself. Yeah, so it's this woman who gets into an elevator in an apartment building, followed by another uh, this one guy who gets into an elevator. It's the guy from Psych. I don't know if you, you have any Psych fans out there. Monk, uh, yeah, yeah, Psych. I was thinking Monk, but it is Psych. That's right. And uh, they get stuck in the elevator <clears throat> once the power goes out. And within about 30 seconds, he basically turns into Pepe Le Pew and starts, like, hitting hitting on her in a way that's very... <clears throat> excuse me, very creepy and kind of aggressive. And like he read that book, uh, The Game or something, where he's he's got this quirk where he keeps gum in a cigarette case. And he's, <laughs> he, he's doing that thing where he's like, you know, you don't really realize how beautiful you are. It, maybe I should just take some pictures of you. It's like it's really – and it's – you know, those situations are fucked up to begin with. But it's even worse because they're stuck in an elevator. Yes. Like, you you know, usually there's an element of, oh, well, this gets weird and you can escape. This is a Christmas movie, remember. And there's a whole series, a whole sequence of this movie that's about a creepy dude forcing photograph, forcing this girl to let him take photographs of her in return for a candy bar. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a hundred grand. I mean, granted, we have to we have to give them credit where credit's due. I think that the do you think the 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 movie is not intentionally playing off this way, right? Like, I I have real trouble understanding what went wrong with this scene because any competent director should just go to that actor and be like, guy, like you're not playing it like this. Like you have to play, you have to be charming in this sequence. Like you have to be, you have to be sort of a goofball, but also not threatening to her. And you are coming across very dangerously right now. Like everything about you from the way that you're staring at her to the, it's one of my least favorite things actors do is chewing gum in a scene is just obnoxious as hell to me as a viewer. <laughs> he's he's chomping away on this gum. He starts taking pictures of her against her will to the point where she has to cover herself up with her coat so that he'll stop yeah, taking pictures. That was, that was aggressive. Have you ever seen the, There's a movie from 1960 called Peeping Tom, uh, which is a horror movie, which is entirely about a basically – this scenario, if it ends with him killing the woman. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Are they stuck in an elevator, or is there something else going uh, on? There might be a scene where they're in an elevator, but he's got this like weird fetish where he he murders women with the tripod of his camera, so he can film it as they're dying. Um, it's it sounds pretty uh, pretty intense, but it was made in 1960, so it's not too bad. Yeah, it's pretty tame. Um, but yeah, like that's what I was thinking. Is like this this is going to end with him wearing her as a suit. But then it does not end that way. It does something very oddly, but it fits with the theme. He's like, you know, the other problem I think with the movie is that she, the actress does not play this as terrified of him, right? She plays it as though she finds him like weird, but charming, which I think is the original intention because, you know, he has the thing where he fakes the cell phone call and he's like, oh, I'm talking with what's your name? She doesn't answer him. He says dimples. Oh, yeah. And then, then he, she kind of smiles. He's like, oh, he's he's flirting with me. Um, and then it ends with this, you know, they they bond. He gives her the candy bar. She eats the candy bar to survive. He They end up, you know, having a scene where they're sitting next to each other and they explain that their whole the lives they've lived aren't the way that they want things to work out. Like she's not really a paralegal. He's not a real photographer. <laughs> Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, so she says she's a paralegal, and then they when they get in, you know, he he clearly put, seems to be a photographer, and uh, um, at one point when when he's taking pictures of her, what he does first is he puts, I guess, he puts makeup on her. Yeah. Um, which is weird in and of itself. But when they get to the scene where they're having their like bonding, this is I've, oh, I'm, I'm not living the life I wish I was living scene. She explains how she's not a paralegal, how she never went to law school, how she just gets coffee at a law place, which is fine. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. He comes back with, I'm not a photographer. I work at the morgue (laughs) photographing dead bodies, (laughs) which if you think back about the part where he puts makeup all over her, makes it much more weird. (laughs) And she's like, "Oh, what? That's that's cool. Yep. Like it's yep. <laughs> they they bond the, the, the creep. Like there's like two steps to the right, and this ends with him like eating her. And it doesn't feel like that feels like a more honest ending to this story than what ends up happening. Yeah. So they they bond over their mutual love of lies, and then at the very end, he's like, hey, "Oh, hey, we got off the elevator. I really I really enjoyed getting to know you." And she goes, "I have a boyfriend." And then just walks off the elevator. And that's... And then when she leaves, the door closes and he he looks in the mirror and he goes, would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. <laughs> and that's the that's the end of that storyline. What Like, what a bizarre, sad twist. This, uh, I mean, remind me. You know me, what we, happens? You know, you know what the tag on the end of the movie is, though? Is the the girl dies? The uh, the girl with the heart thing dies, and guess who's taking her picture at the morgue? Oh, that's true. That would happen. That, yeah, that would, that would be the case. Instead, Fixed there's it. there's a weird scene where he goes uh, mid credit roll. There's a scene where he walks into his apartment and his his German dancing roommate is in there. Did you watch? Wait, that? what? There's no. <laughs> There's uh, Kyle on Twitter contacted us before it was just before we started recording. He was just saying you have to make sure you watch the um, the credit post credit and mid credit scenes. And obviously both of us turned the movie off as soon as we saw the black of the end credits. But I went back and he walks. I don't know if he'd mentioned his roommate before he walks in 
And if I'm remembering, he did. It, he does mention the roommate. Okay, he walks in, and it's like basically like a lederhosen German guy dancing. That's his roommate. Cool. Yeah. Then, awesome. Then the the very final scene hilarious. Is the, the, the very final scene is the tuba player in the orchestra uh, fell asleep and doesn't get off the elevator, and then he wakes up in the last scene, and he's like, "Oh, I have to get off the elevator," and that's it. Awesome. And then they put the Avengers together, right? <laughs> Hopefully. And uh, yeah, I mean that's. That's pretty much it. Uh, the creepy photographer, the the girls, the muscle guy, the husband of the cancer patient, the art guide. We've kind of t- we talked about all that. I just like, what do you think? What do you think this movie thinks it is? Do you think it thinks I... it's a comedy? So, um, what what do they, what do they mean? Oh, uh, lots of things. Uh, this one's for my grandpa. Uh, this one's my mom. This is my goldfish, Mr. Sunday. He still hasn't figured out what he wants to say. Um, what, what about a, um, this one? That one? That one's complicated. Beautiful. Who's it for? A friend. A girlfriend? Not anymore. I think it's a... uh, I think it thinks it's a bit like a high horse morality tale to to a certain extent. Okay. Because the vibe I was getting off of this movie was like just... It's like I said. It's the you think you know, but you don't really know. Like there's, you're there not, are higher you're not, powers, basically. Yeah, you're not in control of things the way that you think you are. That kind, of, and it feels it feels like that. Um, run through the same amount of uh, comedic quality that you know someone who has that overriding opinion probably has. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, why set it at? Why does it have to be Christmas? But is it why specifically is it so- for? The religious holiday, like what? It must How come be. This isn't called like Tuesday. I mean, but wouldn't 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 Easter be more thematic? Like Jesus dying kind of fits in with this sadness that so many of these stories end in. Like I, I the the thing to me is that the this this movie kind of hates its characters on some level. Like it is it is it is not a Christmas movie in the sense of this is a movie you would want to sit down with your young kids. And watch as a family, like it's it's morbidly depressing on a lot of levels. There's terminal there's terminal cancer going on, and there's husbands who are unaware of it, and sort of ignorantly running into the hospital, thinking things are going to be okay. There's creepy men in uh, elevators. It's it's the least Christmassy Christmas movie I think I've ever seen. This does feel like you know God has a plan. The movie sort of now that I'm thinking about it, you know, it's like well everything happens for a reason. You know, I guess you know yeah, there's nothing you can do. Right. Your you, your chest is being held together with staples. <laughs> I mean, are you so? Then, if that was the case, it's surprising to me that not the other stories don't really mention it. It's really only the doctor that kind of mentions it. Um, yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's it's not it's not like explicitly religious. See, I I feel it's very yeah. Maybe you're right that it's not explicitly, but I feel this is a very religious movie in a lot of ways. Like a yeah, and not of a. Not religious in like an intelligent sense either. It's it's like it's not like he had the director or the screenwriters have this greater kind of point that you could be like, oh, well that that's clever. Like everything kind of worked out there. It feels more like they're just they're working their religion into a movie that it almost the movie doesn't support what the religious aspect they're bringing into it is. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would agree that you're that it's kind of sadistic toward its characters though, because if you remember, not only does Cheryl Hines have a gun for some reason in yes. the elevator in New York, f- in in yeah. New York she's has is carrying around a weapon. Yeah, she fires it off, which should have made everybody deaf. Firing off a gun inside of an elevator, uh, and then takes the smoking gun and tucks it between her boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know why guns smoke like that, but it's because they're really hot. Yep, yep. 
Not not for her though. This is uh, no, apparently not. Cheryl Hines is is yeah. Cheryl Hines is so like the just the actors. I don't understand how you get these actors to do this movie and stuff like that. It's um, why the buildings don't have backup generators is a question, especially well, the don't hospital. They, don't they go through like all of the reasons why the backup generators aren't working for like each story? Well, they, I, I remember the hospital. The guys like, oh, there's a glitch. We can't get the backups working. Um. I didn't really understand why they couldn't just cut power to the transformers and get the guy out of the van in the first place. That felt a little bit silly to me. Like the you can't the power isn't just coming from this transformer. You have a way to cut mm-hmm. the power going into it. Well, that's because the people who made this movie, or what's his name, Mitch, Mitch Davies, Davis, yeah, <laughs> Mitch Mitch Davis doesn't know how electricity works. He just you know decided to use that as a gimmick. He didn't yeah. actually do the research. <laughs> Nothing. The van explodes. I was I was watching it hoping he would die. Honestly, I was like, you know, this movie. Well, you can't. They <laughs> the it starts. The van starts leaking gas, and then a stray electrical wire sets the gas on fire. <laughs> which, in slow motion, you watch it travel up this up twenty feet in the air. Yep. Set the van on fire, which then falls off the hoist, <laughs> smashes onto the ground. And then the guy inside comes busting out on, on fire, fire, holding holding his uh, Virgin Guadalupe thing in his hand. <laughs> like, what, what the hell is going on? And then he, he runs over. How does the fire get put out? Because no one, after he gets out and he's on fire, his remember. fire somehow goes out and he just hugs his wife. It's like no, there's no medic who runs over and is like, dude, you just you were just on fire with gasoline fire. Like, we need to get you to Powers. the hospital. Power of love is a curious thing. That's us. That's so, so can bizarre. you can you tell me can you tell me what the story arc for the the OCD guy is in this movie? The OCD. Oh, the, the the art guy. The art guy. I didn't even realize he was OCD until I thought there was something going on with him that he was somehow being uh, like a criminal or crooked or something mm-hmm. like that. Is he really just putting Altoids into his feet to make his feet not smell? I don't know why, but he does because they at, at a certain point he so when he first gets in he like uh, hand sanitizes his hands and then at a certain point after the lights go out they refer to him as a clean freak. Okay, and he says and he responds uh, the the correct term is obsessive compulsive disorder. And so oh then, so, right. Then he starts doing like weird shit. Like yeah, like he puts two trays of Altoids in his shoes secretly and, though. He tries to hide the fact that he's doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But when he first got into the elevator, he that character was me for this movie because like the, the those girls are talking and then they pan over to him and he's just got a face that's just like <laughs> those those two girls might have been the worst characters I've ever seen in a movie. Like they they oh, had they were bad. They were awful, 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 awful. They the the blonde girl is just giving like bad porno reactions to when the guy whips it out. She's looking at that muscular guy just the whole time going like, Oh mm-hmm. my God. And it's Who, so, oh, okay. MVP for this movie for me is Nick, the muscular guy. Is he? Just okay. because, just because <laughs> when they were going around introducing himself, he was just like, my name <laughs> is Nick. <laughs> and just his delivery was great. And also he has the worst fake chest tattoo I've ever seen. I don't know if you noticed it. <laughs> When they push in for a close-up, it looks like it was done by a child with, yeah, like, yeah. Halloween paint. He has a tattoo of his goldfish, which he tattooed uh, with a question mark in the thought bubble because the goldfish doesn't know what he's thinking yet, according to the character. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I, who's my MVP? My MVP would actually be... I'm looking at this list of characters here now. I think my MVP on a... Ooh, maybe on a real level, it's the fired tech worker, Napoleon Dynamite guy. Yeah. Um, on sort of a like comedy level, I think the the patient, the cancer patient, is just kind of like really <laughs> holding everything together. Uh, much like the Staples are holding her chest together, she is holding this movie together. When they start playing Silent Night in the he- in the elevator, so let's, uh, there's a couple things I'm going to bring up here that are kind of indicative of the problem of this movie. So. Most of the time when you do a story like this, your characters have a very clear thing that is an, is a flaw in their character or an issue that they're dealing with. And then through the events of the movie or the interactions or the enlightenments gleaned from talking to the other people they're stuck with, they learn to overcome whatever that flaw is or fear or whatever, right? 
um, in the, in the music one. Is there ever an instance in which that violinist is like, uh, like stage has stage fright or something? Because when when they when they're they they're choosing their Christmas Carol and Cheryl Hines is like, I want Cindy or whatever her name is to play Silent Night, and then she's like, oh jeez, and then she starts to play it like she's playing it in front of uh, like yeah, Metallica, Matt, yeah, right. where it's just, or a Slayer. It's just like this really heavy. It's like. Bah, yeah. bah, bah, bah. And like it, and she's like, no, 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 no. You can play it better than that. And then she plays this beautiful rendition of it. But it's like I don't understand. Like, is that supposed to be some character thing that we just don't know about? Like, that seems like something that y- y- I we we don't know anything about that character. So I don't know why this is her playing it these two different ways is a big deal. Yeah. Or, like, why is this an issue? I I think and, it it ties into somewhat like i don't know if it was her but for some reason all the orchestral people don't want to actually be doing the job that they do which is a which is a beat that they establish i don't know if she ever did but i i think the movie's so lazy that it just assumes that they're all one group mentality so her playing like that is supposed to be her redeveloping her love of music although you know the movie doesn't do anything to sell that or to make it seem like that's actually what's going on with that group because that group to me is just bad physical comedy for the most of yeah. the movie like that that's what they do and then it has this and it's the same well, with the it's the same with the art gallery guy gives a what i would assume is some kind of metaphor when he's talking about this is how he does his art guide presentation mm-hmm. i have no idea what that presentation was supposed to be a metaphor for well see well i'll talk about that one in a second but going back to the music thing if that's the if that's the case why don't you take the the character who says at the end Whose thing is I'm sick of playing other people's music. I'm not going to play anybody else. I'm not, right. The guy whose job it is to play music is not going to play another note unless he plays his own. Dude, you better get ready to not cash some checks for a while. Yes. Um. But why don't you give that job to him? So why when they're playing Christmas carols, why don't, why don't you have him start playing Silent Night and then go? You know what? No, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to play something. I'm going to play my own Christmas song or some shit like that. Right. That would that would have um, made sense. Or but with the the art guy, like. I don't know what his deal was for the story. Yeah. Because he he has this big thing where he does his art presentation, but we never get the sense that he has any sort of like anxiety about public speaking or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that like from what I gathered through his part of the story is he just wants to 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 bang the skinny girl. Yes. The the yeah. brunette with the glasses cuz they do uh they he He's the one who gets the first person, like, you know, male gaze pan up the legs thing. Yeah. And uh, the only way that that pays off is that at the end, she goes off. She and her friend both go off with the muscly guy. And it's and then <laughs> and he, he goes oh. walking off and ends up in the park, which happens just happens to be the same park that the guy smashed his van into. And then the one of the other it's women e- well, from it's the even, music thing sits next to him. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? It's even sadder than that. When the girls go up with the muscle guy, there's a lingering shot. He's just standing at the bottom of the escalator as the camera moves away from him. It's like, yeah. it's so tragic. I don't I don't understand like, why but, it's like, so sad. No, for that character, there's like no indication that he has a romantic thing he's trying to work through. You know, it's yeah, not like yeah. he's divorced or you know can't hold down a date because he's too ocd or something like it has nothing to do with anything how i mean the problem the movie's overloaded with stories right it's a it's an hour and a half movie that tries to fit in approximately 50 characters it felt like a three-hour movie it did feel it it felt very long it it was felt like it felt like as long as magnolia actually is (laughs) it felt it felt super long but i mean you know, I, I, I don't think you could actually fix it by removing characters because I think the script writers of this are just bad writers. But, I mean, you you there's no reason for there to be so many stories here. You could easily cut three of these stories. You'd keep the, the doctor. You'd keep the... Unfortunately, you have to keep the annoying girl one. Mm-hmm. And you could probably... The musicians are the other one that matter. Like, Patrick Stewart does not matter in no, this movie. No, you could you could cut his entire story out and not... Not feel he anything. Cut, he cut any of these stories, but his is the most egregious. You he, you don't need that story at all. And would you? Well, I guess we'll we'll wrap this up with um. What'd you think of Patrick Stewart's performance here in his worst-rated film? Uh, is he faking an accent in this movie? He does. That is not his real accent, right? No, it sounds like he's doing some other like uh, 
some other English dialect or something. It sounds like he's trying to do a Guy Ritchie Cockney yeah. thing in some yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think he was particularly very good. He's I mean, he's terrible in this. He's yeah, so he did his thing, but it was you know it was pretty pretty bad. And I mean, a lot of this is, if you look at his story arc, he has nothing to go on. Like his no, his op- that's why it's that's why I was saying it's, it feels like feels like he was just making it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he starts off on the roof. He's cranky and he's yelling at the guys, and he's you know he shows how wealthy he is because he's like, I own this building. If I want to build another five floors, I will. Fuck them. And then he goes into his, um, my favorite scene is when the the guy with the flashlight is like, hey, man, I'm going to get you out of here. Just give me a second. And Patrick Stewart just goes, fuck you, asshole. Like, hurry up and get me out. And the guy just turns off his light and leaves. <laughs> leaves yeah. him there. And then he has his uh, reckoning and he wakes up at the end and he has a coffee. And, and even there too, right? So they got to work in, because this movie is so fucking boring and so bad, they have to work in some sort of action beat. So Patrick Stewart's elevator, for some reason, plummets, know, s- plummets, and then the the door falls off or some shit. <laughs> but there's there's no point in the story previously where I mean th- the introduction to his character is that he's arguing about not wanting a pillar to block his view of the city, um, but they can't change that without changing the five floors below it. And he's like, well, I own the five floors below it. You know, who cares? Yeah. But but there's. I feel like what ends up happening to him with in the elevator would make a lot more sense if there was something in there about like, you know, cutting costs. Cutting costs yeah. or the building being a piece of shit or so, you know, like Yeah. No, it should it should definitely of just being arbitrary action. He should be a slumlord. That should be his establishment yeah. of a character, yes. like a, a rich slumlord who goes yep. through this sort of crappy thing. You on his introduction is him going up to the roof and you go through this shitty building that he owns. And mm-hmm. the discussion on the roof is them talking about, like, they have all these things they need to do. And he's saying, either don't do it or find the cheapest way out of this possible. And then yeah. the elevator thing makes sense with him. And that would actually flip his character. Like, having that experience is an arc for that character at that point. Mm, I'll say white. Not off-white. Pure white, you know. Like heaven. Here we go. Look, let's be honest. God, white beard, angels... Isn't that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Is there anything about our existence that isn't ridiculous? Sure there is. Let's assume the universe existed only as random chaos. And 14 billion years ago, there was a big bang. And out of it came planets and stars and vegetables and cavemen and the five of us all sitting right here in this elevator. Is that possible? You bet it is. And is it also crazy? Yeah. Because I don't care how any of us got here. It's mind-blowing, incredible, and grand. All right. A beautiful young wife whose heart is being strangled now. Explain that and a loving God to me on this fine Christmas Eve. Like, how do you, who reads the script for this movie and goes, yeah. Greenlight. Two million, two million dollars. Yeah. Just take it. Who's directing Mitch Davis? Oh, fuck yeah. Three million dollars. The Mitch Davis? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm convinced that there's a segment of, of movie making that is just money laundering yeah if you guys and are, this well, movie well, would fall into that category if you guys uh, know red letter media they do a good look up their jack and jill the adam sandler movie they do a very good <laughs> breakdown of how the sandler movie business is a scam and i don't think this is exactly the same but it brings up it makes you think about the financing of movies and stuff like that and I, that's all mm. i could think about while watching this like who what investor was approached about this and was like this is the movie I want to make. This is exactly it. How was shooting in Bulgaria cheaper than shooting in Vancouver? Yeah. Yep. You know, like, uh, Vancouver's like where people go to shoot cheap shit, right? Yeah. That's where all the TV shows shoot. How how is going to Bulgaria, flying all these people over to Bulgaria? I'm sure they probably built these sets. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, how is that cheaper than just going to Vancouver or something? I don't know. Are, I don't know the, how the, the, the investors must have just been foreign, 
Like, is this Maybe, just a foreign investor who thinks just a give us a shitty fo- English Christmas movie that we can sell overseas? A bunch of foreign princes and Larry King. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe that's like, you know, maybe they're like, yeah, this movie will play bigger overseas because no one will realize how inaccurate or irrelevant to Christmas it is. Yeah, it'll be like the opposite of what you were saying. When they translate it into another language, it actually makes sense as opposed to, you know, the, the English that they have at the start is not very good. They just need a translation. Yeah. Well, I think we're uh, we're done talking about Oof. this one. So we're done with Patrick Stewart, uh, Clay. So what are your... What are your uh, what are your thoughts on this format going forward? Besides the fact that this is like, I, I just want to say before we, we get into maybe these bad movies are going to be bad. I was looking at, uh, I think that the, the format of doing the high and the low will actually work out in really weird ways. Sometimes I was looking at Stanley Kubrick and yep. I actually like Kubrick's lowest rated movie more than I like his high, highest rated movie, which is, is it uh Barry Lyndon? No, his lowest is eyes wide shut. And his oh, of course, his, his yeah. highest is Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, no, I love I love Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. I don't know why people hate that movie. So but. I mean, his his I guess it goes to show you what a great filmmaker is. Well, I mean, not the Rotten Tomatoes is the thing, but his lowest rated is seventy four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, but we're also going to run into things like this, which is just terrible fucking movies, and um, I can't imagine a lot of people have seen this one. But would you recommend someone watch Christmas Eve? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend anyone watch. This no, thing. it's not. It's not even. It's not even fun to watch. No, it's it's a- the um. What I will say about this format is, um, I wonder if we might need to be a little bit more specific about um how prominently these people are featured in the movie. <laughs> sure, sure. Because, like you know, you know, we uh, we sp- we talked about that a little bit. But, you know, we don't we don't want like cameos and stuff like that. But like it, I guess it depends on 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 the actor. Like, do you feel like this was a good choice for a Patrick Stewart prominently featured movie? Well, I think it's funny because I think it ties into our Logan discussion where he is never the lead of a movie. Right. So. I think this is actually a fair movie to judge him by because he kind of fits into his usual slot here. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I, w- I would say if like if this was a Tom Cruise thing or something and Tom Cruise was playing that role, I don't think like if Tropic Thunder was Tom Cruise's worst rated movie, I think I'd have a harder time than accepting this as Patrick Stewart's lowest rated. Okay. All right, I can see that. But yeah. I, I'd be interested to see what the listeners think, if they think that there's a, a need to add additional rules or something, because we're already doing no animation, no documentaries, and they have to be, like, a top three casting, I think, is appropriate. And he is the number one casting in this movie. He's the yeah. the lead on the posters. Yeah, I think we just might need to do, just make sure that it's there definitely. Because, like, there's, uh, I was thinking, there's, there's, I mean, not that we're specifically going to be doing these people, but, like, I remember the first time that I watched Time Bandits, the Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah. I got really excited because uh, Sean Connery is top billed in that movie. Yeah. And he's in it for maybe a minute and a half. Sure. And so I think we could run into a couple places like that, especially if it's movies we haven't seen. But we just got to make sure, as long as we make sure that we're not, that that the, it's, it's worth the, uh, uh, the, the I'm effort, only yeah. saying this in defense because I, I fucking hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and anything I can do to avoid a situation like this again, we should do it. I think that the when I post these on Patreon, people need to if I'll, I'll try to do my best to vet them. If people just say no, like this is not a movie that Patrick Stewart is um, or whoever. This is not a movie that like is really about them, even though they have lead billing. Just let me know and we can adjust it on the fly as going forward. Um But guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is our first month. This is the gimmick. This is what we're going to be doing going forward. Leave us comments uh, about which uh, directors you'd like to see going forward. We'll pick those for next month. Some people have already left a few. I'll put them in a randomizer and we'll pick one and we'll do... Do Do you have like a top five people are choosing from or it's just whatever people are suggesting? I put up two. I put, when oh, okay. it comes to Patreon for voting, I put up a one versus one and the winner walks away uh, just to prevent like super splitting of votes. But, yeah, since we're doing a director next month, uh, I'll put a Patreon poll at the start of the month. You guys let me know which one you'd like to do. We'll be doing a director again. Uh, For social media, go to all the links in the video description of the podcast blurb. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, blah, 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 all that stuff. And if you want to support the show, 
You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and a couple dollars a month. You get extra podcasts and uh, you just kind of support these things going forward. You support the Star Trek show. You support real ripe and real rotten and everything else. Um, that's about it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, no, I, you know, just uh, your chest is being held together by staples. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a definite sto- uh, stocking stuffer, I think, for the the Christmas holiday. What a what a bizarre movie! I'm interested. If anyone watched this, I know Kyle, you watched it out there on Twitter. I, I I know that you've watched this movie. You might be the only person who listens to this podcast, but um, or this episode of the podcast. But let us know where we went wrong, um, and where you where you think you uh, might have a differing opinion. Everyone, that goes for everyone as well. Just leave comments. Let us know about Christmas Eve, the fantastical movie, Adventures of Patrick Stewart. After this, I am looking forward to the return of Star Trek Discovery. (laughs) Give me all the the first season uh, DS9 you have. And I'll take uh, I'll take some early Voyager too, just to top it <laughs> we'll off. We'll double up on that one. So, guys, leave a uh, suggestion about the directors, and we'll pick this uh, going forward. Let us know anything you'd, any suggestions you've had for the formats or anything like that. I'd be interesting. Give us all the feedback because it's very early, and there's plenty of time to change things before we settle into our ways. Play. I will see you next time with whatever uh, the patrons decide. And guys, have a good night. Hey everybody, the excitement of Christmas Eve made me forget to thank our high-tier patron supporters on patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. I have to give thanks to Stephen Cobb, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Magpies Nest Productions, Ben Douglas, Tax Owlbear, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, and Tarek Latif. Guys, thank you very much. You make it all possible. See ya.